Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this podcast series is going to be about the book of Genesis. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to, to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. If you're interested in a deep analysis of the book of Genesis, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy what you hear here, and if you have any questions, you can share, link, and subscribe. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to this Genesis podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing Genesis 30 this time. So let's just go ahead and get into this. This was about Jacob uh, marrying another one of the, the handmaids of uh, the sisters and uh, having some more children. So we'll see what goes on here. Verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold, my, ha- my maid Bilhah, go in and lie with her, and she shall bear unto upon my knees, that I may also have children by her, or be built up by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid, to wife, and Jacob went and lie with her. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. Now, the translation of this is obviously incomplete. This was a marriage. They weren't just, um, he just wasn't having relationships with a handmaid, but they became married in order to do this. Um, Okay, so she, and Bilhah conceived and bare a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore call his name Dan. He, he, He has judged or vindicated. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister. In other words, the Hebrew says, the wrestlings of God have I rested with my sister, and I have prevailed, and she called his name Naphtali, which means my wrestling. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife, and Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop cometh, and she called his name Gad, which means good fortune or... uh, a troop or a fortune. Uh, verse 12, And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher, which means happy or blessed. Verse 14, And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. Now this is kind of weird stuff. You have to understand some of the superstition and traditions that they have back in the day. So I'm going to have to explain some of this. It's kind of weird. Uh, did I say weird? And brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. Okay, what are these? And she said unto her, Is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldst thou take? In other words, uh, Jacob is is sleeping or living in the tent of Rachel uh, because he loves her more. Uh, Is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldst thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he shall lie with me tonight for thy son's mandrakes. So, uh, let me explain some of this. Although Bible scholars are not sure exactly what plant is meant by the word mandrake, the significance of this plant to Rachel and Leah is clear. The Hebrew name denotes love fruit. The fruit had a pleasant taste and odor and was supposed to ensure conception. That's out of the Bible dictionary. In other words, the mandrakes were thought to enhance a woman's fertility and ability to have children. Knowledge of this belief helps explain the interchange between Rachel and Leah. Rachel desired the mandrake so that she could at least bear children of her own, 
As had already been seen, there was a fierce competition between the sisters in this regard. Leah's response was, therefore, equally natural. She indicated that Rachel had already taken her husband, which probably meant only that Rachel had the first place in his affections. Some scholars, however, believe that this passage means that Jacob actually lived in Rachel's tent rather than in Leah's tent. The one advantage Leah had was her ability to bear children, while Rachel could not. In essence, she told Rachel that it would be foolish for her to give Rachel her mandrakes to help her have children, for this would only lessen Leah's own advantage. So Rachel made a counteroffer. She promised that she would encourage Jacob to go to Leah that night if she, Rachel, could have the mandrakes. Leah agreed and told Jacob out of the agreement Leah conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. She later bore another son and Jacob's daughter Dinah. Although not stated specifically, the record implies that the mandrakes did nothing for Rachel. Finally, Rachel did conceive, but it was not because of mandrakes. Rather, God hearkened to her and opened her womb. Verse 16, And Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, Thou must come in and lie with me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire, or recompense, because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar, which means there is a recompense. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry, or gifted me, now, now will my husband dwell with me, or honor me, or exalt me, because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun, which means exalted abode. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. Other daughters were probably born of Jacob, but we just don't have a record of that. 22, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph. Now, when you think about all that, that Rachel has gone through here and having to wait this long for a child and knowing the story of Joseph, there couldn't have been any other way that all this happened. He had to be born uh, so much younger than the rest. Joseph relates both the Hebrew root Yasaf to add and to Asaf, meaning both to take away and to gather. The context plays upon all these meanings. Continuing verse 24, and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee and let me go for thou knowest my service which I have done thee. 27. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. So Laban's a very selfish person, you can tell. And he said, Appoint me thy wages and I will give it. And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how the cattle, thy cattle was with me, for it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming, and now when shall I provide for mine own house also? And he said, What shall I give thee? And Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything, if thou wilt do this thing for me, and I will again feed and keep thy flock. I will pass through all thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle. And the Hebrew says sheep. Cattle is older English for flock or herd as part of one's property or stock. So these are probably sheep, not cattle. And all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats and of such shall be my hire. So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come when it shall come for my hire before thy face. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep that shall be counted stolen with me. 
And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. And he removed that day the he-goats that were ring-straked and spotted, and all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted, speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the sheep, and gave them into the hand of his sons. And he set three days' journey betwixt himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. And Jacob took him rods of green poplar, and of the hazel or almond and chestnut tree, and pilled or peeled white strakes in them, and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had pilled before the, the, the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods, and brought forth cattle ring-straked, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs, and set the faces of the flocks towards the ring-straked, and all the brown in the flock of Laban, and he put his own flocks by themselves, and put them not into Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, when it, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in, so the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger were Jacob's. Okay, I need to explain this, don't I? In his own peculiar fashion, Laban, with pretended candor and liberality, now invited Jacob to name his wages for the future. But this time the deceiver was to be deceived, basing his proposal on the fact that in the east the goats are mostly black and the sheep white. Jacob made what seemed the very modest request that all that were spotted and speckled in the flock were to be his share. Laban gladly assented, taking care to make the selection himself and to hand over Jacob's portion to his own sons, while Jacob was to tend the flocks of Laban. Finally, he placed three days' journey betwixt the flocks of Jacob and his own. But even so, Jacob knew, knew how, by an artifice well understood in the east, to circumvent his father-in-law and to secure that, though ordinarily the ring strake speckled and spotted, had been an exception, now they were the most numerous of the strongest of the flocks. And the advantage still remained on the side of Jacob when Laban again and again reversed the condition of the agreement. This clearly proved that Jacob's artifice could not have been the sole nor the real reason for his success. In point of fact, immediately after the first agreement with Laban, the angel of God had spoken to Jacob in a dream, assuring him that even without any such artifices, God would right him in his cause with Laban. Once more, then Jacob acted as when in his father's house he made haste. He would not wait for the Lord to fulfill his promise. He would use his own means and employ his cunning and devices to accomplish the purpose of God instead of committing his cause to him unto him. And as formerly he had had the excuse of his father's weakness and his brother's violence, so now it might seem as if he were purely on his defense and as if his deceit were necessary for his protection, the more so as he resorted to his device only in spring, not in autumn, so that the second produce of the year belonged chiefly to his father-in-law. Verse 43, And the man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and asses. So in other words, wealth. Uh, he had lots of wealth. Uh, Jacob's peeling of branches and placing them before the animals so that they, when they conceived they would bear multicolored offspring seems to be a typical Middle Eastern sheep reflection of a common superstition that the conception of offspring is influenced by what the mother experiences or sees at the time of conception. Nothing is known by modern science to explain any relationship between what Jacob did and what happened in the hereditary patterns of the animals. Perhaps something is missing from the text. Perhaps the Lord was just taking advantage of the virility of crossbred animals. Divine intervention certainly played a part. In any event, Jacob's herds grew 
and the Lord blessed him. Also, Jacob's separation of the flocks follows principles of good animal husbandry and would have increased the likelihood of having multicolored animals. And that was out of the Institute Manual. Now, as far as the birthright customs are concerned, because the Hebrews followed the custom of primogeniture and practiced polygyny, the practice of man marrying more than one woman at a time, at the same time, some students of the Bible have been confused as to which of the firstborn sons of the various wives and concubines was really the birthright son. If the father had only one wife at any one time during his life, then it would be immediately evident which son would be the firstborn son. However, if the father had been a polygynist with two or more wives at the same time, the problem of successorship could be more difficult since each of the wives could have a firstborn son. The Hebrews were not confused on this matter, however, as they had developed the custom that the order of the marriage of the wives would be given first consideration in determining the order of the son to succeed the father as head of the family. Thus, the firstborn son of the first wife became the birthright son, if worthy. If the firstborn son of the first wife proved unworthy, and if the father had sons from more than one wife, then the firstborn son of the second wife became the new birthright son, and so on. These practices and customs help explain why Ishmael was first considered to be the birthright son of Abraham. He was the eldest son of Abraham and was the firstborn son of the second wife, Hagar. However, when Isaac was born, he became the new birthright son by the order of primogeniture because he was the firstborn son of the first wife, Sarah. The law of, or practice of primogeniture also helps explain how Joseph eventually became the head of, of the house or family of Israel, even though Joseph was the 11th of the 12 sons of Jacob. Reuben was the initial birthright son of Jacob and was first in line to succeed his father since he was the firstborn son of the first wife Leah. However, Reuben lost the right to the birthright when he committed adultery with one of his father's wives, Bilhah. Through application of the law of primogeniture, Joseph then became the new birthright son because he was the firstborn son of the second wife, Rachel. In polygamous uh, marriages, all of the firstborn sons of the various wives would be considered as the new leader before any of the secondborn or other sons. Only in monogamous marriages would the secondborn son be immediately considered as the potential new leader if the firstborn son proved unworthy. The Bible is not exactly clear, clear as to why Jacob, the secondborn son, succeeded Esau, the firstborn son, as the head of Isaac's family, although it does mention that Isaac and Rebekah were sorely displeased and of a grief of mind because Esau had married wives of the Hittites. Isaac also specifically forbade Jacob to take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and Rebekah lamented, if Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall be my life to me? Evidently, the poor marriage choices of Esau disqualified him as the new leader of the house of Isaac, as well as the selling of his birthright for a mess of pottage. The Bible is even less clear as to why Ephraim, the secondborn, replaces Manasseh, the firstborn, as the birthright son of Joseph. Evidently, Jacob received a vision or revelation from the Lord concerning the fact that Ephraim was to have the birthright. This is not only substantiated by the Joseph Smith translation account of this episode, but the Lord himself declared later in the biblical account, for I am father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. And that was in uh, a book called Companion to Your Study of the Old Testament by Daniel Ludlow. I bear testimony of the truth of these things, and it's helpful to have these commentaries because it helps us better understand the, the scriptures as we have them and shed light on some of these ancient customs that they had back in the day. I bear testimony of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. I hope.